Good morning. My name is Yulia Shubina. I was born and raised in a third world closed Muslim country, and I was blessed to have both of my parents. The country is to be part of the Soviet Union, and it, well, when it fell apart back in 1990, the country was trying to figure out which way they're going to go as far as, which, which direction they're going to take as far as religion, as far as economy, and everything else. The, um, the missionaries took opportunity of that, and they flooded my country and began ministering to the people um, in, in my country. And my dad actually worked for them since I was one years old. And my family is still not saved. I'm the only person in my family who is saved. But for, since I was one years old, my dad worked for missionaries, and he did anything that you could think of, interpretation for them, he did grocery shopping for them, helped them to find houses when they first would arrive to the country. Basically, whatever you can think, think of, my dad helped with them. And the way my story, my story with Operation Christmas Child began in 2001, when aircraft filled with shoeboxes came to, uh, to my country, and my dad being... Um, the missionary families, they couldn't, because it was a close country and they couldn't directly do the ministry and they couldn't directly preach the gospel, they appointed my dad as a manager of the orphanage and they did underground work for him. And my dad being the manager, he helped out with the distribution of the shoeboxes and um, after they were done distributing to his orphanage and also orphanages in the surrounding areas, all the local volunteers who helped out with the distribution were allowed to take as many uh, shoeboxes and the number of kids they had. And my dad literally came to the pile of shoeboxes and randomly picked two shoeboxes. And I still remember the, I believe it was late November evening when the doorbell rang and I knew my dad was coming home. So I ran over to the door and when I looked through the pupil, I saw my dad holding two presents. And in my head, I immediately, I love presents. And in my head, I thought, why, is, why am I getting a present? And then when I opened the door, the very first thing my dad said is, here, pick one. And me being the little sister, but the very first one at the door, naturally, I reached for the bigger one, thinking my sister could get the smaller one. She's not at the door yet. And so uh, by that time, I, I just began screaming with excitement. And my mom came over, my sister came over, and all of us just gathered around these two shoeboxes in the living room, and we were afraid to touch them because they came from the United States of America. The box in itself was so cool because it came from America. It was just, ah, there are shoeboxes. And I remember asking my dad, who is this from? Why are we getting the shoeboxes? And my dad said, somebody in the United States decided to bless you and to give you this gift. And I remember as a nine-year-old girl, my mind could not wrap around that. Why would somebody who never met me, who doesn't know me, all the way across the ocean decided to bless me with a shoebox. Again, excitement took over, and I'm thinking, all right, I just want to open, open the shoebox. And my, dad, uh, my mom says, be careful to uh, carefully peel off the tape so that we can reuse the wrapping paper next year. And we, we didn't have Christmas paper at that time, and my shoebox actually came in a plastic purple container that my mom used for baked goods for literally years down the road. And my sister received her shoebox in an act her shoebox came in an actual shoebox, and she actually still has it. She collects notes and cards in it. And I remember as I lifted the lid off my shoebox, the very first item that was on top of it was this stuffed animal dog. And this is the original dog that came in the shoebox. Yes, I know I'm 22 years old. 13 years later, this just to show you how much the dog meant to me. And of course, look at his face, so cute, right? <laughs> so I remember just hugging him and thinking, I don't even care what's in the rest of the shoebox. This dog meant so 
much to me. And my mom said, Yulia, there is so much more to, to the gift. Why don't you open it? And item by item, I unpacked my shoebox. And as a nine-year-old girl, what do you care about? Pink and glitter. And that's what my shoebox filled with. Glitter pencils, pink notebooks, hair ties, hair brushes. But besides the dog, two other items really stood out to me. The first one was bubblegum-flavored toothpaste that came in a pink tube. Whoa, I didn't even know such a thing existed. <laughs> Bubblegum flavored toothpaste, what is this? And I remember my sister and I made it last, I believe, year and a half or maybe two years. Do not recommend doing them. That, as I found out later, toothpaste does have an expiration date. <laughs> But it was really fun while it lasted. Our friends found out really quick that we have this bubblegum flavored toothpaste, so that this is not a joke, I'm not making this up. They would come to our house with their own toothbrushes, line up in our bathroom, and my sister and I would monitor how much toothbrush goes on their toothpaste, <laughs> to, how much toothpaste goes on their toothbrush. And if it's a little too much, we're like, mm-mm, sorry, gotta share it with the next one. Not making this up, really did happen. And the third favorite item was a pink screen with two knobs. Can anybody guess what it is? Edge sketch, exactly. Well, my sister and I didn't know what it was. So we thought it was a souvenir from American because we didn't know English, we, didn't, we could not translate the instructions. So we just displayed that edge sketch on a shelf and thought it was a pretty souvenir from America. <laughs> and whenever our friends would come over and they would ask us, what is it? We're like, it's a souvenir, do you like it? And they look at it, well, it looks like a screen, does it do anything? No, it's just a souvenir, it's supposed to sit on a shelf. Well, a month and a half, or I'm not sure how long, a while, passed, and uh, one day my sister was dusting the items on the shelf, and she was dusting the edge sketch, and she accidentally turned the knobs, and she realized it was drawing, and it was one of the coolest revelations we've had. That pink screen that we thought was a souvenir, it was drawing. So after that, the edge sketch didn't go back on the shelf. We ended up using it so much, it literally broke. It stopped drawing. That's how much we loved it. But um, all those items were wonderful, and like I said, I still have this dog that makes me happy, but the most important item was in the shoebox was taped to the bottom of the plastic container. It was a letter from the girl who, wrote, who packed it for me, and she said, Dear friend, I hope you have a Merry Christmas. I hope you like the gifts I packed for you. Please know I'm praying for you and your family. And that very last sentence what got to me. I remember wondering, why, why is this girl who never met me, who doesn't know me, not only did she decide to pack all these wonderful items for me, but she also is praying for my family and for me. And um, besides, besides the, uh, well, at the end of the letter, she also included her return address so that, she said, if you want to write me back, here's my return address. And I remember um, I wrote her back thinking she probably would never receive my letter. She probably would, would never write back. And we didn't have our own mailbox, so I used my grandma's mailbox. And a few weeks after I sent the letter off, my grandma calls me and she says, Yulia, there is a blue envelope came for you, and it came from USA. Can anybody guess what USA is? The United States of America. <laughs> And I remember being so confused and on the phone with my grandma. Are you, grandma, are you sure? I don't know anybody in USA, as I, I would say it to you at that time. And she, she said, no, it says there is your name on it. So I ran over to my grandma's, and sure enough, there is this bright blue envelope completely soaked through with glitter. Clearly some excitement going on inside that letter, right? So I open it, and as I begin reading it, translating it, I realize it was 
from the girl who sent me the shoebox. Not only did she receive my letter, she also decided to write back. And it was, now suddenly I had a friend in the United States, I had a friend in USA. And so we became pen pals, and at that time I didn't have computer, I didn't have internet or email, so we used snail mail, which is literally snail mail, especially when you mail something across the ocean. So for a number of years we would write back and forth to each other, and then in early 2000s we lost connection completely. Persecution began in my country, and like I said, my family's still not saved, but it really did affect our family because my dad, for a living, all he did, he worked for missionary families. And I remember my parents made a decision for us to move to Russia, and it was at the end of my freshman year in high school. And as we moved to Russia, it was one of the hardest years for me. For those of you who moved around or grew up moving around, you know it's not an easy thing to do when you leave all of your friends behind, all of your familiar places. And not only that, we were also moving countries. Plus, all the rumors you hear about Russian winters, they're true. They're so cold and so miserable. And I remember talking to my dad and telling him, I don't want to stay in Russia, I want to come to the United States. And the reason why I wanted to come to this country because from movies, from cartoons, you just, you just know this is, this is the place to be. And after I talked to my dad, he said, I have a contact uh, but who are missionary families. I worked for them for quite some time. See, email them, see if maybe they could help you out. And now that I know the Lord, I know, I know, I know that it was him who opened the doors for me to come to the United States. And in August of 2008, I came to Denver, Colorado, and I uh, attended a school there. I was blessed and privileged to live with a Christian host family, attend a church, and also attend a Christian high school. But uh, none of that, the transition into, I guess, Christian world was a little, not a little, it was really difficult because I remember coming to my first Bible class and my teacher said, for next week, I want you all to memorize John 1, 1 through 3. And I'm thinking, who is John? And how do I find John? How do I memorize John? It sounds like a name. And then I see everybody begins flipping through their Bibles. So I was like, okay, everybody's looking at their Bibles. Let me open mine. Well, I didn't know how the Bible was structured. I didn't know about Old Testament, New Testament, everything else. And so I'm thinking, well, I'll just look into somebody else's Bible. And I look to the right, I look to the left. And everybody is on a different page. And I'm thinking, where is my John? <laughs> everybody has him on different pages. And then I realized that everybody's Bible print is different. But slowly, the Lord began doing a work in my heart. And step by step, he softened my heart. And October, uh, no, not October 25th, 2008 is when I got saved. And after that, my life was literally flipped upside down. I was supposed to be in the United States only for junior year of high school. Six and a half years later, you, can st you still cannot get rid of me. I'm still here. <laughs> um, and I remember after my junior year, somebody blessed me to, with a plane ticket to go home to see my family in Russia. And right before I left, all of my friends said that I need to get a Facebook account to stay in touch. Well, I got over to Russia and I got a Facebook account and I realized how many people use Facebook. So in Dunton on me, I'm thinking, maybe the girl who sent me the shoebox, maybe she uses Facebook too. Sure enough, she does, I found her. And I wrote her a simple message. I told her that I just spent a year in the United States, that I got saved and that I'll be coming back in August, and I thought to myself, well, the United States is so big, it has 50 states, there is no way we're near each other. But just in case, I included my, the address of my high school in Colorado and sent it off. A few days later, I get a reply back from her, and in the subject line, there is a million exclamation marks. 
clearly something exciting again to happen. And as I opened it, I, real, uh, I read her message. She said, Yuli, you will never believe this. I'm originally from North Carolina, but this is the first summer that I'm working at a horse ranch in Colorado. And when I Googled the location of the horse ranch and your school, we're only two hours away by car. Whoa! <laughs> I, I share my story so many times, but every time it gets me because this really is the Lord. How, who else can you attribute this to? And so I come back to the United States in August. My, uh, the girl drives over to my host family, and we have what I like to call it a jaw-dropping moment when she sits on one side of the couch, I sit on the other side, and we just I don't really know what to say because 10 years after she sent me the shoebox, I got to meet her face to face. And for the first time, I was able to pray for her and with her. And it was one of the coolest experiences in my life. And you would think the story ends there, but when the Lord is involved, it only gets better. So um, after that, I thought, I really want to get involved into this ministry that really has touched my life in such, in such a neat way. And I, my senior year, I got to go to a Denver processing center. How many of you have been to a processing center? Either in Boone or across the country? It is overwhelming, right? But overwhelming in the coolest way possible. I walked in, and up until that point, I thought my sister and I were the only two people who received shoe boxes. And I walk into the warehouse, and there are thousands of shoe boxes that are being processed. And what got to me the most is there is literally hundreds and hundreds of volunteers who give up, well, hundreds at, at a particular time. But it really, really got to me that all these people, they sacrifice their work day. Some of them would take a week off work just to come process those shoeboxes. Some give up their family time on Saturday or Friday night and come and process those shoeboxes. I never imagined that it takes so many people, so much effort and so much prayer to get that one shoebox from point A into the hands of a child. And so after that, I'm thinking, I need to get involved in this ministry. And after I graduated high school, the Lord opened the doors for me to attend Liberty University in Lynchburg, Virginia. And my freshman year, I remember I took a communications course, and as part of our introductory uh, speech, we were supposed to share our testimony. And I thought, well, I'll just throw the part about the shoebox in there. Probably nobody has ever heard about this ministry. Little did I know how, how huge this ministry is. And after I share my speech, after I share my testimony, my, uh, my teacher comes up to me and she says, Yuli, did I hear you right? You said you received a shoebox when you were nine years old. I was like, yeah, do, have you heard of this ministry? And she says, well, I worked, uh, I had a seasonal job with them in Boone, North Carolina, their headquarters. I'm thinking, Boone, North Carolina, where, where is that? <laughs> I have no idea where is that. And so I gave, she gave my contact to somebody in Boone, and that actually led up to further involvement with Operation Christmas Child. I became, I became one of the spokespersons, and then after graduating college this past May, I actually had an opportunity to intern with Samaritan's person. Part of my internship, I served on a promotions team, was to travel to different conferences, Christian music festivals, and uh, just represent the ministry. And for one of those uh, conferences, I got to travel with another staff from Samaritan's person. When you spend so much time together, you, you get to know each other. And when she asked me what country I was from, she said, my husband went to your country, but she couldn't remember any details because it was so long ago. So she said, why don't we get back to the office and I'll introduce you to my husband. So we get back to the office and a few days later I meet her husband and as we begin exchanging uh, questions and answers when he was in my country and all of that, the chills go down my back because I realized that he was the person 
who came with the aircraft of the with the aircraft filled with shoeboxes in 2001. And when I described my dad and how he looked, he said, "I think your dad was the interpreter for us." Wow! I thought when I met the girl, that's when all the pieces to the puzzle were complete. But the Lord kept giving more and more, and it, I literally came 330 degrees circle with the ministry, and. That's where the story almost ends for now. As of two weeks ago, I'm officially full-time with Samaritan's Person. I'm really, really excited about this opportunity. But I did want to take time to thank you all because if not people like you, I would not be standing up here and sharing my, my story. You are the people who give up their Saturday evening, Saturday, Saturdays, Friday nights, then work weeks to come pack shoe boxes and also process those shoe boxes. And like I said, I would not be standing up here and sharing it if people like you didn't take time to pack shoe boxes and to pack them with prayer. So thank you for doing that. And I did want to close with one last thing. At the end, it's never about us. It's not about the items we pack in the shoe boxes. It's not about this dog as much as I love it. it, it at the end, it is about the Lord. And I want to close with a verse in Romans 11 and the verse is 36. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. I have several thoughts uh, uh, about that. Uh, first, I made a note to myself never to follow her as a speaker again. <laughs> Secondly, I was actually kind of encouraged uh, because I, I finally found someone who talks as fast as I do. Uh, that, that's kind of cool. And then, and then the third thing is, I know, let's just go ahead and put it on the table. I know you would rather listen to her for the, for the rest of the hour. Too bad you got to listen to me for a few minutes, all right? What a, great, what a great story of the value of Operation Christmas Child. Actually, better said, the, the value of reaching children. Great story to remind us of the responsibility that we have. We perhaps remember from the time we were little tykes in Sunday school singing songs like Jesus Loves the Little Children, all the all the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white, they are, they are precious in His sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Do you believe that? That's why we participate in OCC, because we believe it. We, we, maybe we, we sang, Jesus loves me, this I know for the Bible tells me so. Little ones, to Him belong, they are weak. But he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me, tells me so. Where? Where, where? where does the Bible tell me so? That Jesus loves little children. Somewhere, I, I know that he says that somewhere. But perhaps now we, we're grown up. We don't sing those kind of songs anymore. We've moved on to deeper truths, and we forgot these kind of childish little things. And Jesus loves me just doesn't do much for me anymore, and so we forget, we pat our kids uh, on the head, and we're glad that they're learning those little ditties that we learned uh, in Sunday school, but we, we, we've moved on, and maybe, just, just maybe, we need to be reminded of those truths again. One of the things that OCC does for us each year is to remind us that Jesus loves 
little children. You may have noticed this morning has actually been an intentional focus on children from our children's dedication to Operation Christmas Child. In fact, right now I'm going to preach my whole message to you. You can write it down. I'll probably expand on it just a bit. Here it is. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, and as his followers, so should we. Where, where, does the Bible, where does the Bible tell me so? It's in our text. I'm going to break away from 1 Timothy. We're going to just look at a little three short verses in Matthew chapter 19. Put it on the screen. It says this. Then some children were brought to him, that's Jesus, so that he may, might lay his hands on them and pray. And the disciples, and the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, let the children alone and, and do not hinder them from coming to me for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. He'd already told them that back, back in chapter 18 when they, they, they asked, hey, who's the greatest? That's what we want to be. We want to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And, and he called a child to himself and set him before them and said, truly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven like children. It goes on in Matthew 19, says, and laying his hands on them, he departed from there. Three verses to, to remind us that Jesus loves little children. We're going to take just a few moments uh, this morning, just a few minutes to work our, our way through this text with this, with this particular outline. We're going to see children brought to Jesus, and then at the end of verse 13, we're going to see the delightful response uh, of the disciples uh, to these children. It'll come as a shock to you, I'm sure. And then third, we're going to see the response, therefore, of Jesus to those disciples, maybe us, and, and to children. We begin by seeing children were brought. There are parallel passages that tell the exact same story in Mark chapter 10 and Luke chapter 18 that provide some additional details for the story. For example, Luke indicates that these children were brought by their parents. That's interesting. Sounds a bit familiar. The word for children in Matthew is the word paideia, which speaks of a little child, but it could be anything from an infant up to a to a toddler. Luke actually uses a, a different word. Luke 18 says it this way, and they were bringing uh, even their brephos, uh, which, which speaks of babies or infants. They were bringing even their little babies to him. The, the, the point is, p- parents were bringing their littlest ones to Jesus. Now, now, why would they do that? Well, Jesus was a healer, right? It had a whole, this whole healing ministry going on. Um, maybe they were sick. Maybe they needed healing. No, Mark says that they wanted Jesus to bless their babies. Matthew spells that out a little bit more clearly. They wanted Jesus to lay hands on and pray for them. You've you got to understand that at this time, children were pretty far down the food chain. They were not very important members of society, but hey, you still had this practice of, uh, of the day of taking your children to a recognized rabbi to have him pray for them. So it's actually a rather significant thing that is happening here. These parents wanting a, a blessing from God ask Jesus, who they recognize as a, a rabbi, a teacher, to, to pray for their kids. Not unlike what we just did this morning, when, uh, first service, third service anyway, when we dedicate um, our, our children to the Lord. Every few months, because we have, I don't know if you've noticed, we have so many babies running around here, we have a children's dedication, a time when 
parents uh, present themselves and their uh, children to the Lord before this church family, committing themselves to rear their children in Christian godly homes. And then we all stand, right, and, and, and pray for the little children. Now, can you imagine, there we go, can you imagine if this morning when it came time to dedicate children, as they made their way to the front, some ushers jumped up in front of them and started yelling, what in the world are you doing? We do not have time for your kids. We have more important things to do, you know, like we got to pray and worship and get to the Word of God. Get your kids out of here. Take them to the nursery. We, we would never do that. But have, have you ever viewed our little child dedication, cute as they are, as just kind of an interruption? Have we forgotten that Jesus loves the little children? It's exactly what I just described is exactly what happened here with Jesus and those very wonderful, godly, compassionate disciples, sons of thunder that they are. Look at the end of verse 13, and the disciples rebuked them. Get that. This was not the crowds who were fighting their way to get to Jesus, who blocked the way of the children. It wasn't even those really nasty Pharisees. It was disciples, followers of Jesus who said, "You kids, you are insignificant. You do not matter. They had apparently forgotten those Sunday school songs. Who, who did they rebuke? Well, we're going to assume that they rebuked the parents We're going to give them a little credit that they weren't rebuking the children. The word there speaks of a harsh rebuke, of scolding, of shaming them. In fact, it carries the idea of threatening punishment. Get them out of here or else. And the tense is such as they did it over and over again. Every time a a parent walked up with a little child, the disciples went ballistic. Get that kid out of here. What do you think you're doing? We do not have time for this. Now, why? This is hard to understand. Why would the disciples act this way. I think, not that we would ever think this way, but I think that it's because they thought that Jesus and they were doing some really important stuff. We don't have time for children. As I explained uh, a little bit earlier, this, it's, in, it's in Matthew chapter 19. It's near the end of Jesus' ministry. He's on his way to Jerusalem. He's got important work to do. Get out of the way. To these disciples, the children were just an irritating distraction. They were an intrusion, an interruption of real ministry. Just kids. Come on, what do kids really matter? Get the picture. I want you to get this picture in your mind. Children were literally being blocked from coming to Jesus by his followers. Here's a question. How do we do that? Uh, How did Jesus then respond? Verse 14 Mark gives us some additional details, which is very interesting. He says Jesus was indignant. Literally, he was burning with anger. Indignant sounds a little nicer. Burning with anger. You see, up to this point, if you read through the Gospels, Jesus had been disappointed with his disciples before he had even been frustrated. Uh, But he usually reserved his anger for people like, you know, the Pharisees. They deserved it. Or at least those money changers in the temple. But make no mistake about it here, this time Jesus was angry with his 
disciples. Why? A couple of reasons I could think of. First and most obvious, Jesus loves the little children. Jesus was okay with being with kids. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones do him belong. And, and, I, and I know. I've been alive a little while. I know it's possible for kids to get on your nerves every once in a while and to be a bit annoying. But followers of Jesus... People who want to be like Jesus love children. I I don't understand when people say, I don't like children. I'll be very clear that you are being more like the sons of thunder than you are being like Jesus. The, The second reason I think he was angry is, The disciples had been with Jesus, noted this for three years now. They were supposed to be figuring this thing out by now. Yes, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to be crucified, resurrected, which means he's going to be ascending to the Father very soon. That is, he's about to leave the kingdom in their hands, the hands of these very compassionate, loving, faithful disciples. And once again, they were demonstrating that they did not get it. Children were coming to Jesus, and the, and the disciples said, no. They were saying to these parents, to these children, you don't make the cut. You are unimportant. You do not have anything to offer. We have no time for you. No wonder he was a bit angry. But, but, but let me encourage you just for a moment, though, because I, I believe that if our lives today, our walk with Jesus was recorded to be viewed by others, I think they would probably demonstrate some level of failure. Don't know about yours, but mine would. And the very good news this morning is this. He is patient with our failures. I want you to think about this for just a minute. If you were Jesus, right about now, don't you think you would have found some different disciples? (laughs) Sorry, Peter, James, and John. Here's your pink slip. Clean out your lockers. This thing is not working out. Yet, Jesus was patient, rebuking, yes, a little indignant, teaching, correcting, training, because I think that Jesus saw in them what Pentecost and the presence of the Holy Spirit would produce. He saw the church that he was going to build through them. And so he put them and all of their faults, uh, like he puts up with mine, aside because he saw the end as well as the journey. He was angry, but he was also patient, and he brought them along just like he brings, just like he brings us along. How did he respond first to the disciples? He said, let the children alone. Do not hinder them from coming to me. A couple of thoughts. Leave them alone. And don't, don't stop them. Two verbs and the Greek tenses are, are very are critically important. Basically, this is what he says. He says, stop it. Right now, once and for all, leave the children alone. Then he says, and I want you to never, ever again hinder them. Let the children keep 
coming and keep coming over and over. The idea is this. I have had it with you. Uh, Stop preventing the children once and for all. Do not ever, ever hinder them from coming again. And I don't ever want to have to talk to you about this again. Remember, he is indignant. He is angry. Let the children now and forever come to me because Jesus loves little children. And he needs to remind us of that. Why why does he love them? It's kind of an interesting question. He tells us because the, the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. I think there are a couple of important ideas here. The first one I'm going to suggest is a bit literal. I may be pushing the text a little bit. Whatever, just go with me. The kingdom belongs literally to children. You see, every once in a while, one of the questions that I, that I get asked, the question that everybody has sooner or later is, what about babies? What about children who die in infancy? What about those children who die before they are able to understand the claims of Christ, before they have the intellectual capacity to make a commitment to Christ? What about them? Will they go to heaven? You ever ever wonder that? I, I believe they do, and I believe this passage at least implies that. The kingdom belongs to such as these. Such as what? Such as children, infants, small children who were being brought to Jesus to be blessed by him. I, I cling to that truth. A second idea is a bit more clear. Jesus had already said to his disciples back in chapter 18 that the kingdom belongs to such as these, such as who? Uh, to children. And remember, they, he was responding to their question, who is the greatest? You don't, you don't get it. It belongs to people who are like children who realize that they've got nothing. Jesus is all they've got. He's their only hope. Unless you become like a little child in dependent humility, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. These children then become a picture to us, helpless, dependent, humble, broken people who come to Jesus offering nothing. Don't know if you realize it or not, that's who we are. Coming to Jesus offering nothing, bringing nothing, simply bringing all that we Um, have of ourselves to all that we understand about Jesus. Jesus loves me. That's it. This I know. For the Bible tells me so little ones to Him belong. They are weak. We we don't sing that anymore because we don't see ourselves weak. Simple childlike dependent trusting faith. Kingdom belongs to them. He laid his hands on them and he prayed for them because Jesus loves little children. And as his followers, so should we. Brings me to my conclusion. Say, oh, okay, this this is all fine and well. How does this apply to us Um, today, Scott? I mean, come on, I have a couple of kids. I even like them most of the time. Uh, We do have children's dedications here, and no one screams or yells about it. I would never prevent a child from coming to Jesus. Let me suggest, let me just suggest a couple of significant things that we can do as a church, as a family of believers, to accept our children, listen to me, and to love them. I want you to get this into your mind, to love them to Jesus. First, something very simple. 
When we are rock, walking around here, not just on Sunday mornings, but anytime that we gather as a church family, I want to encourage you to lower your eyes a little bit. I mean physically. What do I mean? I do not know if you have noticed, but children are generally short people. And if we just talk to people at our level, physically, emotionally, relationally, spiritually, mentally, then we can overlook, oh, we just talked about that last week. We can overlook kids. And so by doing so, are we physically preventing them from coming to Jesus because we don't even notice them? We have millions of them running around here. <laughs> kind of seems like that. When is the last time that you bent over? Like my wife tells me when I'm looking for something in the pantry or in the refrigerator, Scott, you have to bend at the waist. When is the last, <laughs> when is the last time you bent over and talked to one at his or her level? Let's do that. Let's love our children to Jesus. Second, some of you I'm going to ask to do more than that. Can you get involved in their lives and invest in them? Will you please, will you please do that? Child Evangelism Fellowship, a ministry based in Missouri with some 1,000 missionaries to children around the world, point out a significant statistic that 85% of all professing Christians made their commitment to Christ between the ages of 4 and 14. Okay, those of you who are believers here this morning, how many of you became Christians 14 or younger? Raise your hand. Look around. I don't even have to look. <laughs> Do you suppose this highlights the vast importance of our children's ministry around here? We have nurseries called Awali Oasis uh, for the Brephos or the Paideas, the infants and toddlers, the ones that Jesus took into his arms that day. We have Sunday schools called Kids Zone for our older children through fifth grade. We have Awana, love the tagline, because kids matter to God. I believe that. The children's program on Wednesday evenings. We have a special needs ministry. We introduced an, uh, an adoption ministry called Chosen a couple of weeks ago. And I want to say to you very gently that we should never have to plead for workers in these ministries, but sometimes we do. Because sometimes I think that we think that real ministry is a bit more challenging. You know, preaching to multitudes, driving out demons, and fighting Pharisees. You know, adult ministry, college ministry, or, or life groups, things like that. And there is a tendency among us to think that real ministry is not with little ones, and we have a tendency to let someone else do it. And if I can't do anything else, maybe I'll do kids. <laughs> really. Get your leftovers. And Jesus all along loves the little children. The most fertile ministry in our church is with little ones, which means that we should have some of the most gifted people in our church in those ministries, and in fact, we do. But we should never have to plead for children's workers in this church, not if we love the children of the world to include the ones in this church. It's frankly why we have this focus this time of the year on Operation Christmas Child, 
because those boxes become gospel opportunities, simple doorways through which we can share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so one week from today, I'm challenging you. Our goal, last year we collected 1,200, so proud of that. Our goal, we need to increase that. We have more children to reach. Our goal, we're raising at 10%, 1,320 boxes. So whatever you did last year, you need to do more this year. It's why we had Dodgeball for Hope last Friday. Just going to point out, one of these logos is not like the other. (laughs) I'd suggest not putting that in your baby nursery. (laughs) 45 teams from across the state, hundreds of people gathered to nail each other with dodgeballs to raise over about $5,500 for Hope Pregnancy Center because God, Jesus loves the little children of the world, even the ones who aren't yet born. We believe that. As we close, I'm going to ask you to do something for me, okay? I'm going to ask all of our children's ministry workers, if you work in Wally Oasis or Kids Zone or Awana, I'm going to ask you right now to stand up. Would you, and I'm going to ask you to stay standing, okay? Would you? That's pretty good, huh? That's great. That's great. It's not, stay standing. It's not enough. If you participated in Dodgeball for Hope last Friday, or you participate in our special needs ministry or our chosen ministry, would you please stand to your feet? It's pretty good. It's not enough. I want to say to you, thank you for your ministry to little ones. I want to say to you from the very bottom of my heart, thank you for loving the children of this church. I want to ask the rest of us to stand, and I'm going to ask us to commit to serve children in some way. It might just mean, I understand that you may be involved in a variety of different ways. It might just mean bending over at the waist and and talking to one, holding one, loving one. It might also mean signing up to serve. You, you you, You have no idea how God might use your attention as part of the bridge that he is constructing that draws the little ones to faith in Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that this, I'm asking right now that this church in this community would be a church that is known for its love and care for children. We talked about last week, we don't want to overlook anybody, we don't want to overlook each other. Yep, don't want to do that. And we don't want to overlook our, our, our kids. And we want to see them come to faith in Jesus Christ and recognize that you use us toward that end as partners to share the gospel. Would you use us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.